Hi, this is John Leahy, host of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to the podcast on a weekly basis. I truly appreciate my great audience. I'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify and virtually any place where podcasts are heard. So if you like the content, please consider subscribing. I appreciate it once again. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I'm John Leahy. Thanks again for being with us here on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode as we had a musical tribute to the late, great Jimmy Buffett. Hope you enjoyed that. I invite you to check out our website for the podcast. It is at LeahyStorytelling.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y, Storytelling.com. You can find all the episodes that have been done on the podcast up to this point. There's also a rating system. You can rate any episode from zero to five stars, or you can leave your own written review. There is a bunch of videos up there that I hope you'll find interesting. Also a blog, and uh, you can also leave me a voice message. There's a purple microphone at the lower right-hand corner of each page. Also feel free to uh, check out my website, which is at johnrleahy.com. The podcast links directly to the website. And uh, also uh, I have my new internet radio station up and running. You can find that on the website as well. We did a couple of uh, women's games this past weekend up at Clarkson and uh, the uh, internet radio station. We're going to be doing a lot of cool things with that. We're going to be talking college hockey again today. Joining us is hockey correspondent Mike McMahon. You can find his work at themacreport.com. Also uh, writing for College Hockey News and several other sources. Mike, uh, thanks for being with us here this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's good to be back. Absolutely, Mike. Well, uh, we've got a lot to get to here in the next 45 to 50 minutes, and uh, I thought we would uh, just take a quick peek around Hockey East with the season starting, the men's season starting uh, in less than two weeks. Uh, I thought we'd uh, take a run around the league. We'll do a, a quick preview with you, and uh, we'll use last year's standings as a reference point for running down the teams. And uh, Mike, I thought we'd start with the team that uh, won it all in Hockey East last year, the Boston University Terriers. Uh, BU won the regular season uh, title, and uh, then they won the Hockey East Championship, and they went into the national tournament. Uh, let's talk about this Terrier team, Mike. A lot of talent coming back. They have one of the top recruiting classes in the country, and they've got a blue chipper in Macklin Celebrini coming in. How good is this BU team going to be? I, I think they're the best team in the league. Yeah, I, I think when you look at who they have back, I mean, Lane Hudson – was a Hobie considerate last year. He's going to be a Hobie contender this year as well. And Macklin Celebrini should have, I mean, if, if you look at kind of his pedigree and where he's projected to go in the, in the NHL draft next summer compared to other guys who have come in and played their draft year in college hockey, it's guys like Adam Fantilli and Jack Eichel and uh, you know guys that came in and made immediate impacts, scoring you know, 50, 60 points as a freshman. Yeah. That's the type of impact he's probably going to have. And I know he was hurt. He got hurt over the summer or in the spring and had shoulder surgery, I think it was. But 
Uh, he was skating. He was still on the ice with BU in their preseason practices. He's out of a no-contact jersey now, which is a good sign that he may be ready to go uh, early in the season. But you, you look at this BU team, whether it's Celebrini or Hudson, just all the guys that they returned. They, they lost some guys, but, I mean, several other freshmen, not just Hudson, were key players last year. Jeremy Wilmer was a big part of their team, Ryan Green. Uh, and then in goal, I mean, they lose Drew Comesso, who was very, very good and they add Matthew Curran out of the transfer portal from Brown, who was by far, I thought, the best goaltender in the portal and one of the more underrated goalies in the country because of where he was playing. Just not a lot of fanfare playing at Brown, but he's excellent. And he's going to, I think, fill in uh, th- that number one role. The goaltender spot just fine. Yeah, it's like uh, the rich get richer. And, uh, you know, BU has a tendency to bring in uh, coaches that uh, have an an understanding of BU hockey. And uh, Jay Pandolfo had a terrific year. He won Coach of the Year last year, Mike, and uh, no reason to believe that uh, the Terriers won't be at the top again. Yeah, they're very well coached, whether it's it's Jay or Kim Brandvold, who was a, a development coach for the Bruins for a long time, uh, Joe Pereira, who's a BU alum, who came over from UConn. They, they've, they've kind of established themselves as the place where top NHL prospects are going to want to go. And, and I think it's because you have a guy who was an NHL development coach and Kim Bramvold, and then you have Jer, uh, Jay Pandolfo, who was an assistant coach at the NHL level, also worked in player development at the NHL level for a long time for the Bruins. So, uh, that's a, that's why they're going to attract those top-tier prospects year after year. All right, Mike, the second-place finisher in Hockey East on the men's side were the Merrimack Warriors. Now, there's a lot to be excited about with this Merrimack team, right? A lot of key returners. Both goaltenders are back. And uh, I think the biggest question with Merrimack, Mike, will be how they replace the offense they lost uh, when the portal guys uh, trans uh, graduated and uh, graduated out. But uh, this Merrimack team... I think is going to be a very good team again. Yeah, I think they're right on pace with where they were last year. You know, to get Alex Jeffries back was huge. Uh, he was probably ready to go to the next level, decides to come back for his senior year. Uh, Mac Capone took a big jump last year. You kind of expect him to, to take another jump this year, I think. Uh, and then they bring back a lot of key guys. Forrest, Philip Forsmark is back. Ben Brar is back. A lot of those guys are back. And they've got to replace, you know, Will Calvary really filled that role as that second line center really well last year. And Tristan Crozier played a really big role in the bottom six. And uh, so did Ryan Liebold as well. Liebold's line may have been their best line during the playoffs. But I think there's some guys there that are either, you know, working their way up the lineup who could fill those holes and some guys they brought in. I mean, Chase Stevenson had uh, 20 points for UNH and 12 goals last year. Uh, he comes in out of the transfer portal. So you kind of look at that and go, you know what? Could, could he be – what uh, what what Will Calvary was last year, and I think he probably can be. I think I think he can fill that role. Uh, Mark Gallant had, I think, eleven or twelve goals as a junior. I know he battled some at Dartmouth. I know he battled some uh, some some help stuff last year. Was in and out of the lineup. Uh, I think he had some injuries going on. But you know, he's a guy that scored eleven or twelve goals as a junior. So yeah. there's there's evidence there that he could be able to provide some offense and, and maybe fill the Crozier role or the Leibold role. Uh, and then another guy that I know they're really excited about who didn't have a ton of points last year. I think he only appeared in eight games, but Michael Satara coming in from Providence is a guy that I know the staff is really excited about. Thanks with an op- with an opportunity. Uh, he can he can play a really big role. And then you've got guys that are working their way up the lineup. Like Mark Hillier, I think, is ready to take on a bigger role. And, and he's a talented player who came in as a younger player 
and is, is kind of adapted at these first two years to college hockey. But I think he's ready to take a big step. Uh, and they bring in some some talented freshmen too, headlined by Ty Deneau, who's the best one in the group. Uh, had a really good year in Alberta last year. Played for Canada at the World Junior H, uh, Canada West at the World Junior A Challenge. He's a guy that that could come in uh, and make an immediate impact uh, on the lineup as a freshman. And they've got a couple of defensemen coming in who who may be able to do the same. Yeah, how much will the loss of Slava Demon hurt? Demon just signed a professional uh, tryout with the Montreal Canadiens. Of course, uh, you know, he played his last year last year and he aged out. But uh, he was a stabilizing force for Merrimack. How much will that loss hurt? And, uh, you know, how do they go about replacing uh, Demon? Yeah, he's. I think he's a big loss. You know, just he was their leading defenseman in, in scoring. Zach Bookman was right there, but but Demon just played such a, a key role, I thought, last year in, in stabilizing things, as you said. Uh, I think it's a loss, but I think it's one they can recover from because Bookman is going to be able to provide offense from the blue line. <clears throat> Mike Brown and Christian Felton are kind of in a similar mold to Demon, I feel like. Uh, Ivan Zivlak, too. So those guys could take a, a step offensively. I think they're all real good in their own end. But I think you look for them to take a little bit of a step offensively. Uh, Adam Arvidsson is the same. You know, I, I think he can be an offensive defenseman who got real got a lot better in his own end last year. And Trevor Greibold still played 16 games as a freshman. So, and, and there's other freshmen they have coming in that they're excited about. Frank Jarosevic was a captain in Pentagon last year uh, in the BCHL and, and I know played a big role on, on one of the better junior teams in Canada. So I think it's, it's a loss. But it's it's one that they should be able to sustain because I think there there was kind of an undercurrent of some younger guys coming up behind him. Brown as a sophomore, Bookman as a freshman, that that maybe they each take a little bit of that Demon role. I think uh, Bookman, who had 16 points as a freshman last year, can pick up some of the offensive slack. He could be a 22, 23 point defenseman as a sophomore. Yep. I think Brown probably takes some of the the two-way responsibilities that Demon had last year. All right, let's take a look at Northeastern, Mike. They finished third in Hockey East last year. The the first thing you notice with this Northeastern team is the guys they lost. Devin Levi goes to the NHL with Buffalo. Uh, Aiden McDonough, who absolutely killed Merrimack over the years, uh, he's gone. You know, the the natural inclination here would be to think, does Northeastern take a step back? Mike, how good are these Huskies going to be? You know, it's, I, I think they take a step back, but not a giant step back. <clears throat> you know, I I think I wrote this the other day, and I and I know it. Some excuse me. Some people say that this is um, taking the easy way out, but like I think BU is the best team in the league, and then I think really from two through eight or nine, it's real close. Northeastern's right in that group. It's going to be difficult to sustain a loss of a McDonough and Sam Colangelo and Jack Hughes transferred, and obviously yeah. Levi's, you know, the biggest one. Uh, but they brought in some guys that should help. I mean, Alex Campbell scored a ton. He was a national traffic, scored a ton for Clarkson last year. Yeah. Uh, I think he had 14 goals, so he's going to be right in that mix. Uh, I like the defensemen they brought in through the portal as well, and I think that there's still some guys there uh, that should be able to pick up the slack from a scoring standpoint, whether it's, Fontaine or Cam Lund had a great freshman year last year. Um, Matt Chapani had 10 goals as a sophomore. So, like, there's there's guys there that can pick up the slack, um, but it's going to be different. And last year, Northeastern, at the end of the day, as good as they were, uh, they were still outshot by their opponents, and Devin Levi covered up for a lot of those yeah. mistakes. Yeah, 
that to me is going to be the biggest one that you got to survive because he just covered up for so many. He was so good. He covered up for so many mistakes. Uh, Cameron Whitehead, the, the freshman they have coming in, is very good. Very, very good. Yep. One of the top-rated goalies in this this freshman class. But is he going to be able to do everything that Levi did as a freshman? It's it's putting a lot on a freshman. Yep. And some sometimes guys come in and they and they aren't phased by that. Like Levi, as a freshman, came in and was great. Uh, no, well, his first year, I think he missed most of his freshman year because of the, he got hurt at the World Juniors. But yep. his first year, he came in and he was great. Um, you know, other guys like look, Phillips feedback last year, Providence came in and there were ups and downs because you're, you're putting a lot on a freshman. And uh, he's very good. I, I think it can go either way, but I think a lot, a lot hinges on how good is he specifically early. Uh, you know, if he struggles to, to get a custom early, Northeastern could find themselves in a little bit of a hole. Uh, but if, if he's pretty consistent and solid throughout the course of the year, I think their roster's good enough that they should be in the top four. Yeah, and the Sharks are very high on Cam Lund as well. We had Dan Rusinowski, their radio guy, on a few weeks ago, so uh, they're very high on him. The fourth-place team, Mike, was uh, UConn. Pretty solid year for the Huskies. I know they're looking for uh, some breakout seasons from last year's players. Uh, they had a few significant losses as well, Ryan Twerberg being uh, the most significant of them. But uh, this UConn team has come a long way, Mike, and I still think they're going to be a very, very good team. Yeah, I I see them honestly a lot like Merrimack, and like I, I kind of feel like they're as good as they were last year, you know. And, and they were pretty good last year. Uh, I, I like the goaltender they brought in from Clarkson. I thought Ethan Hader, you know, he didn't he didn't have great numbers last year, but uh, he's he's a really good goaltender. I think he's going to do well there at UConn. Uh, Ryan Mashey is another player they brought in from RPI out of the portal who should help replace not all of the scoring that Terrific had, but he should help a little bit. I know a lot of hockey schools uh, were on Mashi. I think they like the way that he played, like how fast he plays a lot of pace. He's really fast. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really think that they're similar to Merriman, where like it, they bring back a lot of their guys. They lose some guys, but they bring back a lot of their top players. You know, Matthew Wood coming back is kind of similar to Alec Jeffries coming back from Merrimack. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, they are real similar. Merrimack has the two goaltenders who should be really good. Uh, last year, you know, our, um, UConn split, split between Turnus and Sergeev. Now you're going to have Hayter coming in to be that second role. So I think it's they're very similar teams. Like when you line them up on paper, I see a lot of similarities there. And th- those are two teams that, again, should compete, I think, in that top four, top five mix. Yeah, uh, Turnus, that's certainly a big loss. But uh, Hayter has had a solid career at Clarkson. So uh, the Huskies seem like they've really covered their bases there. Uh, let's take a look at the number five team, Mike, on the men's side, the UMass Lowell Riverhawks. Uh, no surprise, they went deep in the playoffs last year. This is a team that is consistently solid. They defend as good as anyone, and they've got the Norm Bazan factor on the uh, bench. So, again, a lot of people are expecting the Riverhawks to be uh, very good. What's your take on them? I, I think defensively they're they're excellent. You know, they play from a system standpoint. They might be the best defensive team in the league. Uh, and I, I like the goal. I mean, uh, Davis Gringles graduates. He was a grad transfer last year from Alaska. Uh, they bring in Henry Walsh, I think was in the portal, but they bring in Luke Pavisic, who had a 920 save percentage from UMass Amherst last yep. year. So yep. their goaltending should be just fine defensively. I think they're going to be just fine. I do question where the goals are going to come from. They didn't score a ton last year. Uh, and a lot of the guys that scored the bulk of their goals last year are gone. Carl Bergwin, uh, I think Brian Chambers is also gone, I believe, yeah, in yeah. the portal. Uh, so they lost a considerable amount 
of their offense from a team that already didn't score a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that, that I think is going to be the biggest challenge for UMass Lowell is who's, who's going to provide the goals. Uh, maybe the guys step up and they find it, <laughs> but you know, I think defensively they're going to be in every game because Pavage is a good goaltender and that we know how they play defensively. I assume that's going to continue, right? A different yeah. years, different roster. Sometimes it could be not as good as previous years, but I, I, I think it's fair to expect that they're playing the D zone would continue. I, I do have concerns for them on, on who's going to score their goals because they weren't much above two goals a game last year. Uh, so, and they lost, you know, like I said, a considerable amount of their scoring, a uh, little, little less than 25%. So I just, I, I look at the roster right now and it's hard to see where those goals are going to come from. But as we know, once you get into the season, there's always a couple of guys that kind of come out of nowhere every once in a while uh, and, and start to provide that scoring. And I think maybe with Lowell, it's going to come from guys who didn't have opportunities in the past behind Berglund, Chambers, uh, Andre Lee, who was there the previous year, yep. and now will have more opportunity. And you could see a guy that goes from, you know, maybe 12, 10, 12 points last year and becomes a guy that's a, a 12 goal, 15 assist guy, you know, as a junior or senior. Yeah, Scout Truman impressed me last year. Of course, he had the big goal against Merrimack in the game at the Garden. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Riverhawks finished fifth in uh, Hockey East last year. We move on to the uh, sixth team in the standings last year, Mike Providence. Uh, This team has a solid roster. I know they're looking to be a little bit more consistent on D, but I really like the goaltender, Phillips Vedback. And the Friars are going to win their share of games this year. Mike, what are your thoughts on them? I thought they were... One of the teams last year where I said, you know what, they, they should be winning more games. Every time I watched them last year, I felt like they were down 3-2, to two, out shooting their opponent 38-20, to 20, and you're just going, she's like, what the fuck, the whole game? How are they losing this game? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and it, it backs that up. I know there's a, a program that a lot of the programs, a lot of the coaches use uh, that just for doing my work, I have a subscription to as well called Instat. It's it's a very heavy analytical program and they based on scoring chances will project, you know, expected goals for expected goals against and expected wins and losses based on your previous season. Well, last year, I looked this up the other day, Providence finished last year, 16, 14 and seven. Yep. If you looked at their expected numbers based on scoring chances, Instad had them for like 23 wins. Wow. They were just like one of the unluckiest teams in the country. Uh, so I think they're good. I think they're going to be better. Uh, I like the additions they made through the portal. We saw Luke Chris a lot with Brown. Yeah. Merrimack didn't play Brown the last couple of years. He's a really good addition uh, to the blue line. Cal Confuke, I, I you know, really think highly of him as a player coming in from, uh, from UMass. So I, I like the additions they made. I like the style of play that some of these guys have. This, this Providence team in particular feels – a lot to me like a a typical Nate Lehman team that we've become accustomed to, that hard, heavy, they're skilled, but they play a real heavy physical game, which they got away from a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, but, but Berard was, um, was a great player, but a little on the smaller side, not that real heavy type player. Uh, Patrick Moynihan, even kind of the same thing, not really that, that hard and heavy type kind of prototypical Providence forward that we've become accustomed to over the years. Uh, they, I think they addressed some of that need this summer because it does feel like this is more the, the mold of a team that, that we would typically come to expect from Providence. And I think a lot falls on speedback. Yeah, I think he had his ups and downs last year, but 
your, your fourth overall pick for a reason. There's something there. Uh, and if he really can start to deliver, I think this is a team that can take a big step because they were, I think they were better than their record last year. You know, you mentioned Moynihan. They lost him to Notre Dame. How much are the Friars going to miss him? Yeah, it, it's a loss, but I do think it, it's helped by, you know, Kafu coming in out of the portal and um, Matt Hubardi coming in out of the portal from, from Dartmouth, who scored a considerable amount of points last year as well. So I think that that helps, you know, stem some of that. Moynihan, he, he's a very good player, but it, it almost kind of looked like expect more out of a guy like that. Uh, I think there's more there. Maybe a, a change of scenery at Notre Dame, and he has a big year. But, uh, you know, they bring in Kafuku, who had the same number of goals and more points than Moynihan last, did last year in the yeah. same league. So I, I think the, the additions they made at least balance out, you know, the losses that they had in the portal. Mike, and they did clean house because they, they had, what, like eight or nine guys, I think, in the portal. So they I think they were addressing some of those issues last year as far as maybe not being as heavy as, as they usually are. Right. Let's take a look at the seventh-place team, the Maine Black Bears. And, you know, I've seen a lot of growth uh, from this Maine team since Ben Barr took over. Mike, uh, what are your feelings on the Black Bears? Will their growth uh, continue? Uh, and as I said, they've taken a lot of positive steps under Ben Barr. Yeah, I really like what he's done there. It's amazing, kind of, when you think about it, how long it took him to get a head coaching job. Uh, I think RPI, he's an alum of RPI, they passed over uh, when they hired Dave Smith. And there was, there was a couple of jobs, I think Vermont, when they hired Todd Woodcroft. So, like, there was a couple of jobs that he was in on uh, as a finalist but never never landed. And then he finally gets his opportunity, and you see what he's done at Maine yeah. in a short amount of time. It's very similar to Mike Cavanaugh. Mike Cavanaugh was a finalist forever when he was an assistant at Boston College. He was a finalist for every job and then finally got the UConn job. Um, but, yeah, I, I like what he's done a lot. And he's had to turn over a considerable, a considerable amount of their roster there. They had a really big freshman class last year. They have another really big freshman class this year. But he's gotten to play well early on. Um, so yeah. I, I think, you know, when you look at a guy like him, he's had success everywhere he's been. When he was an assistant at Providence – they were one of the best teams in the country. Yep. When he was an assistant at UMass, they won a national championship, one of the best teams in the country. Assistant at Western Michigan, one of the best teams in the country. You know, success has followed him everywhere he's gone, and, and I don't think that's by accident. You know, there, there's definitely, whether it's the way he identifies players or the types of players that he wants to identify, there's, there's a reason why success follows a guy like that. So it doesn't surprise me that he's having this much success early. Um, but it kind of does because, you know, he's been doing it with younger players. That's why I think they, they are another team that you would expect to see take another jump this year. The, the challenging part for them, they should take another step. Yeah. But as we've kind of talked about, everybody in this group, it feels like, has gotten better. So it's going to be a challenge because yeah. they're going to have to take a step at the same time while, you know, we feel like Merrimack and UConn are just as good. We think that Providence is going to be better than they were last year. And we'll talk about BC coming up here, but they're another team that should be better. So there are a lot of teams around them in the standings are getting better at the same time. So that that's the challenge for them. Yeah, of course, they play in one of the great arenas in college hockey, Alphond Arena. I think that is the greatest uh, home ice advantage in the league, uh, particularly when Maine is playing well. I love it up here. Yeah, I mean, there's something about, you know, Alphon, like you said, when they're playing well and it's packed, we get it. It's, it's probably the hardest place to play in the league. Um, but that's... There's still a charm to some of the hockey's buildings, and, and I'm a sucker for it, whether it's Alphonse <laughs> or Gutterson or, or Matthews. Like, those are my favorite places to go. 
Um, I, <laughs> I was watching there. There was some of the Bruins posted a clip uh, on Twitter earlier today. It was the 25th anniversary, I think, or 28th anniversary of the the last hurrah game at the, at the old garden between the Bruins and the yep. Canadians. And yep. It's like, I had that little bit of nostalgia of, you know, I wish I could go back there one more time. Or like, I wish, wish I could have brought my kids to see a game there or something like there's something about the old places where maybe it's because I'm getting older that I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, li- I like, you know, I like things that have been around a while, but yeah, there's something about those buildings where it's like, this is, this is college hockey, and Alphonse definitely one of them. All right, let's take a look at Boston College. Uh, intriguing situation here. BC dropped to eighth last year in the hockey standings, but there's a lot of optimism down in Chestnut Hill, right? They have the, the top recruiting class probably in the country, six players in the national development team, and a lot of people, Mike, feel that BC could be in the top two in the conference. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the Eagles and how much you think they're going to improve. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the league in the second half uh, because it does usually take those freshmen some time to adjust. I think we saw it with Cutter Gauthier last year. Like it took a little bit of time, Uh, maybe Thanksgiving or or Christmas. So if those guys, here's the difference with these guys though. Uh, This freshman class is like you said, probably the best in the country. They also all came from the same place. When you have six guys that come in from the national development program, yep. there's a lot of familiarity there already, which I think could make for a situation where they get on the same page and a little bit more comfortable, a little bit quicker because they're already familiar with each other. You know, Gauthier yep. came in last year and I don't know how many guys he had played with on that team up to that point, but it's completely brand new. Um, so I, I think in the second half of the year, that's when everything, even if there are struggles early, the second half of the year, they're going to be a force because they're very, very, I mean, Will Smith is going to have as much of an impact as celebrating. Will Smith wow. is a guy that had it not been for, you know, had he not been in the same draft year as Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli would have been in conversation for the number one pick. I had a scout say that to me, you know, if Will Smith was a year older and was in the draft last year, he may have been the number one overall pick. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, He's very, I mean, he's right there. Uh, and the biggest thing, the biggest question mark, I think, is again, kind of like what we talked about with Northeastern, you're going to rely heavily on a freshman goalie. That That's a little bit of a concern, but Jacob Fowler is very good. Third round pick and led his team in the USHL last year uh, to, a, to a championship with very good numbers. So he's played in some high pressure situations. Uh, I, I do think they're going to be right in the mix near the top. Uh, I I think, you know, it's going to be a question of when you get into those games in February and and early March, right before the playoffs, when you're going down that home stretch, uh, I think Merrimack plays BC late, I believe. Yeah, last game, yeah, last game of the year. So there you go. So, like, that's that's a big test, right? And that could be an interesting dynamic. That could be a game where it determines first or second or second and third, like those two teams are could be right up next to each other in the standings going into that game. And it's what wins out, you know, the, the grizzled Merrimack team that's really skilled and a lot older or the upstart BC team that comes in super talented with a lot of freshmen, you know, that that's going to be a real, I think a big barometer game for BC if, if them and Merrimack are close in the standings. And 
think a lot of people expect that they will be. All right. The ninth place team from last year, the UMass Minutemen, an uncharacteristically down year. Uh, I know that people out in Amherst, uh, Coach Carvel, they are determined to show that last year was an aberration. Uh, what do you think about this UMass team as we hit the ground running, Mike? Yeah, I think they're still in a in a they're still in a in a spot where they're rebuilding a little bit. And uh, Greg Carvel kind of admitted to that, I think, at Media Day. I, I think he talked about about all the young players they had in the team last year. They kind of knew it was going to be a process. They got another big group of young guys coming in this year. So I think they're going to be better, but I think it's going to be a situation where the, the freshmen last year and the freshmen this year, so th- this year's freshmen and sophomores, are kind of the crew that they see as the core of their next group that can challenge for a title. Yep. And that's probably going to happen when they're juniors and seniors. So th- they are kind of in a little bit of that process. And there's no shame in that. That's what most teams go through. Right. You know, unless you're Michigan or Minnesota or, or now <laughs> BU and maybe BC, where like you can just walk into the national development program and, and take who you want. Uh, most teams go through cycles where we're going to be really competitive for a couple of years. Then we have to kind of restock a little bit and develop. And then we're really competitive for a couple of years. And, and that's the cycle that UMass is in, just as we've seen Providence has been in and Minnesota Duluth has been in and plenty of teams that have won national championships have gone through this type of cycle. Uh, but I know they're excited about the younger guys. I don't know if they're ready to really contend near the top yet because I think they are still a little young. Um, but I think they're they're on their way. I think they really like the group that they have, and, and I think they'll they'll be better this year because there's a little bit more familiarity. They turned over both of their assistant coaches uh, last year, so a lot of people don't look at that as being a big deal. You know, you look at the head coaching change and say, well, you know, it might take a time for a new coach to get used to his players. But uh, I think when it comes to assistants, you've got one that usually runs a penalty kill and one that usually runs a power play. And both of those guys were new last year, and both of those units struggled early on because they were, I think guys were getting acclimated to, to new systems that were being run. That's gone now. There's some familiarity there. So I, I do think that they're going to, to be on the upward swing. All right. We're talking with Mike McMahon. He is from themacreport.com and also College Hockey News, as well as several other hockey sources. Taking a look around Hockey East, Mike, uh, the 10th place team last year, the UNH Wildcats. Uh, Wildcats lost some significant talent. Uh, One of the players they lost is coming to Merrimack, uh, Chase Stevenson, so he'll stay in the league. But uh, Damian Carfagna was a terrific player last year for the Wildcats. He uh, transfers out, David Fessenden as well. So let's talk about this UNH team. Let's talk about the losses that they had and uh, uh, do you think the Wildcats can uh, rebound from those losses and uh, get competitive and uh, get up into the middle part of the uh, pack? It's going to be really hard. You know, uh, you, you look at the guys they lost last year like you pointed out and it, it's off of a team that only won 11 games. Uh, so you, you got Carfagna who had 10, uh, excuse me, had uh, 16 points as a defenseman. He was second on the team. He did that as a freshman. So, again, I think you look at that and go, well, if he came back, he's probably a 20-point guy in the back end. Yep. Stevenson was their second-leading scorer with 20 points, had 12 goals. So there's a lot there where you're like, you know, they they're, they struggled last year and they lost some key pieces, um, which I think would, would make me concerned going into this year. Uh, Tyler Musella, just he struggled as a freshman last year. I know he's, they, they are still excited about him. And a bad freshman year doesn't mean anything. He can certainly rebound and become a better goaltender as, as a sophomore. 
Um, but you don't know what happens there with Fessenden gone. There's, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough. Um, you know, I, I look at them in Vermont probably being in the same spots they were last year. Maybe they flip, um, but I think it's going to be hard for UNH to get out of this this whole this year just because uh, if they're going to be relying on freshmen again, that doesn't always go well unless you're like Boston College and relying on, you know, first-round pick freshmen. That's, that's a little bit of a different scenario. So uh, it, I think it's going to be a tough road for them. You know, if they were able to – to, to keep some of the guys like Carfagna, if they were able to keep Stevenson for his grad year, I think there's a little bit more there to be excited about because Liam Devlin was had a nice year as a sophomore and Sal Clark had a really good year as a freshman. But uh, when you lose two key, key pieces like that right at the top of your lineup and there doesn't seem like there's anybody really behind them to fill those holes, uh, that becomes difficult. And then you look at what they did in the transfer portal. And I think they tried to fill some of those holes. I mean, Jacob Helliston comes in from North Dakota as a goaltender. He's been in and out of the lineup at North Dakota, um, but I think he's going to challenge for the starting job there and try to fill Fessenden's role. Uh, and then uh, Lewis Linder comes in on defense from AIC. You know, he's not going to produce what Carfagna produced offensively from the blue line, but, you know, I think he can at least fill a spot there. Uh, the goaltending spot is what's really interesting because Helston, you know, North Dakota, Helston had trouble. He was kind of the backup at North Dakota over two years, yep. uh, appeared in, I think, you know, he had 13 games last year. Um, but last year in particular, last two years, North Dakota had some goaltending problems. So, uh, you know, his numbers were decent uh, from a goals against standpoint, 272, but he only had an 875 save percentage yep. last year. And it makes you wonder, like, all right, if they were, if they were struggling <laughs> from a goaltending perspective, you know, why wasn't he able to, to finally land that, that role moving forward, Drew DeRitter from Michigan State was the guy that, that kind of kept it, and, and he struggled after playing really well at Michigan State the year before. Uh, so I, I think they just have a lot of questions. They have a lot of questions in, in a league this year where it doesn't seem like a lot of teams have as many questions as they do. I think it's going to be a struggle for them. Well, I agree that Liam Devlin is a top-level talent. He's had some great uh, games over his UNH career, and I think he's a player to watch. Uh, the final team was the Vermont Catamounts, and, of course, the big story up there, Mike, is uh, there is a new coach. Um, they let go of Todd Woodcroft. What do you think the impact will be on the team? And uh, if there is improvement for the Catamounts, what do you think the rate of improvement will be? I thought they were going to be one of the most improved teams in the league coming into the year, and, and that is relative. I mean, it, they were in 11th place last year. I thought that they would have been able to challenge for 8th or ninth, which is a, a big step. Um, when they had the coaching change, they also lost Alex Bump, who was their best recruit. Yeah, Would have been probably their best player, even as a freshman. The second-round pick of the Flyers, uh, he ends up transferring to Western Michigan. The coaching change itself, I don't know, will have much of an effect. Uh, I think Steven Wheeler is going to be really good. And I, here's the thing. I think they, I think they know how good he is. And I think they really want him to work and, and expect and hope that it goes well enough that they can give him the job full time. And the reason I say that is because they elevated him to interim head coach. And then they hired an assistant coach to replace him. And they hired a third assistant right. to the staff. Right. And, I don't know that they're going to allow him to make those hires unless as an administration, they thought he was going to be their guy. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a reason why he should be. I mean, uh, the, some of the better players that they brought in were recruited by Weaver. I mean, he, his fingerprints are all over this group. Right. Uh, I 
do like some of the transfers they brought in. Ryan Mioto from Kenesha should help offensively. Zach Dubinsky is a player I like a lot. Uh, he he, had a lot, he scored a lot of, at RPI. Um, kind of got buried in the line chart a little bit last year at Michigan State. Played a bottom six role. But um, I think in Vermont will be thrust into more of a top six role and his offense could come back. Chris Theodore from, from Union, again, kind of thrust into a different role at Union last year, but scored a ton when he played for AIC. So there's, there's some hope there. I think they're going to be better. Uh, I think on paper, when we kind of look at th- those bottom two teams, UNH and, and, and uh, Vermont, I think Vermont is ahead of – I put Vermont ahead of UNH. I think they jump UNH. Uh, and then I think, you know, they, they might even be in the mix to jump UMass if UMass struggles uh, or if UMass Lowell really can't find scoring. Uh, Vermont might be a, a team that might be able to compete with them if Lowell slides down into that seventh or eighth role. So I think there's hope there. Uh, it's it's not as easy because you lose bump. I don't think losing the head coach is going to be as much of an impact because I think Wheeler's really good. Uh, I think the guys respect him. You didn't see other than bump, nobody left when Woodcroft left, which I think means he, you know Wheeler has a lot of relationships established with those guys. So I, I do still think that there's hope for improvement from them this year. All right, Mike, let's uh, get a few thoughts from you on the uh, hockey's women's side of things. Uh, Northeastern, for a long time, has been the cream of the crop. Uh, Huskies lost uh, some real talent on that team, uh, just like the men did. Uh, Just maybe a quick thought or two on the the women's division and uh, how you think things might uh, shake up. Yeah, it seems wide open at the top. I mean, I I know a lot of people still think Northeastern is going to be the team to beat there, and for good reason. (laughs) You know, we we talked about what they lost last year, but I know you and I did some of those games when they played up at Merrimack, and it was like, you know, even watching their third line on the ice yeah. it would have been a top line on, mo- on most other schools. So uh, I think that they're going to still be okay. I-, I think in the coaches' poll, uh, they were one, had uh, I think they had eight out of the ten first-place votes. So they were right up there. Um, but you look, it's, it, this kind of tells you how wide open it is. Northeastern first with eight first-place votes. Vermont in second in the poll with no first-place votes, Mm -hmm. which means most of the teams probably picked them second. And then Providence and UConn are right there in the mix, too, and they each had a first-place vote. So it feels like it's a little wide open at the top with a couple of different schools able to challenge. I know that Vermont team is pretty good, too, uh, and they've done a really good job of building their women's program. So if there's a team that I think can challenge Northeastern, uh, my money is probably on Vermont. It just seems like they're the most ready to do it. Uh, but, you know, Providence and UConn should be right there, too. Excellent, Mike. Let's get your take on a couple of uh, college hockey topics uh, before we let you go. Uh, first of all, Arizona State will be joining the, joining the NCHC in 24-25. That's great news. Glad they're uh, finally getting a home. And it seems, at least geographically anyway, that that might make the best sense for them. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it does. Geographically, it does. I mean, there was talk with all the, the moving and shaking in the major power five conferences that maybe the big 10 would have made sense as an affiliate member for hockey. But uh, if they're not in the big 10 for every other sport, I think that would have been somewhat difficult. It wasn't for Notre Dame, but like it could have been for Arizona state. Uh, I think the NCHC makes the most sense. And now we'll see what happens with the rest of that league. Cause that puts them at nine and that's not an ideal number. Uh, so yeah. there's, there's, you know, will they add a 10? Will someone drop out? They'll still be at eight. Um, there's always been rumblings that Miami's been trying to get out of there for for a little bit. They've had some trouble uh, competing in the NCHC since they since the league was formed after being such a dominant team in the CCHA for for a long time. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. 
but I don't think they stay at nine. I, I think we're either going to see potentially Miami try to get back into the CCHA, uh, or we're going to see them probably add a 10th team. Uh, and if they were to do that, then, then it's just a question of who is that 10th team. Uh, I think there's, there's a couple of contenders for that. Um, you know, Minnesota state probably being one. Uh, and then you also got to look at, you know, Michigan tech, maybe being another one as well. Like yeah. there's options if that's what they want to do. All right, Mike, uh, in terms of expanding the game, there's been some talk about maybe Tennessee state starting up club hockey. And then of course they are, they have their eyes on a division one program. Uh, what have you heard about that? And uh, how far along is that? I think it's a few years off, but they're doing it the right way. Uh, they've, They've worked with the guys over at College Hockey Inc. throughout this entire process, uh, and they're they're excellent over there. Uh, Mike Snee, Jason Hajdu, and um, Sean Hogan, they do a really good job of promoting the game and helping schools like Tennessee State get on track to build their program, if that's what they want to do. Uh, I, I think they're taking it slow, which is the smart approach, in my opinion, and, and, and a needed approach, probably from a financial standpoint. Um, I know LIU kind of jumped in, but they didn't really know what they were doing. And even uh, I don't think they had a lot of contact with anybody in the college hockey community. They just said, hey, we're going to start a program. And they had some struggles to try to get that thing going. Uh, I think Tennessee State is – they're in a really good spot. I mean, uh, they're, they're going to have any sort of partnership with the Predators. That's a really good sign. Uh, I think that's going to do them a lot of good. Uh, and, and it would be good for the game. I mean, I think it, it, any type of expansion down that way would be good for the game. And then – you start to look at, well, does that open the door for maybe an Alabama Huntsville who was around for a while but's kind of been put on pause here to make a return if there's some geographic partners that make sense? I'll tell you what I'm real happy about is that uh, Robert Morris has their program back, uh, both on the men's and the women's side. You know, I thought it was a short-sighted decision to get rid of the hockey program, but, Mike, it's great to see them back. Absolutely, yeah, and, and credit to them. I mean, credit to Derek Schooley. Uh, the coach there who put basically spearheaded an effort to make sure the program was going to come back along with yeah. some others. Uh, there was a whole a group of people down there that, that made it happen. But, um, yeah, they didn't just sit there and, and let it go away, uh, which was which they should be commended for because uh, they were always one of the better programs in Atlantic hockey. And that whole thing, what a mess. I mean, when, the, when their president, their, I think it's their former president now, uh, dropped Chris the Howard, right? Chris Howard? Yep. Yeah. I, think, I, don't, I don't think he's there anymore. I could be wrong. Yep. I, think he, I, think he's, I think he's in a different job now, but nobody knew it was coming. I mean, the stories I heard was that uh, they were on a – one of their assistant coaches was on a Zoom call – this was during COVID – on a Zoom call with a recruit at 11 o'clock and kind of got tapped on the shoulder with, hey, we have a, a meeting. Uh, and the call walked in and was told, hey, we're, we're cutting the program. There was no warning. Unreal. There was no, hey, this, this may be on the table. It was simply someone opening up books and going, well, we got to save money, so let's cut this. Um, and it's uh, the, the people that put the effort in there to, to make sure it was safe should be commended. Absolutely. Well, uh, last thing I have before I let you go, Mike, uh, uh, Curtis Carr, former Merrimack uh, coach, is now the interim coach at uh, Bowling Green. Unfortunately, it came uh, as a result of some uh, unfortunate circumstances. There's an investigation going on out there with a hazing incident, incident and uh, Austin Swankler entered the transfer portal late. He winds up going to Michigan Tech, so a lot of concerns out there with the Bowling Green hockey program, Mike. But, you know, we have to be happy for Curtis Carr that he is, you know, now the head coach under some very trying circumstances. Yeah, uh, I'm happy that he has an opportunity. Very happy because I, I, I think he's going to be a really good head coach and, and should have had the opportunity 
already uh, with, yeah. with the program. It, it is a tough spot to be in because that situation is messy. And to be honest with you, I only think it's going to get messier. Um, between the, the transfer portal and, and stuff flying around about, you know, what actually happened, did anything happen? It's just, it's a mess. I think it's a messy, 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 messy situation. Um, and, and I, I don't think, <laughs> I think Curtis is unfortunately is going to have a lot of, a big mess to deal with here early on, but you know, hopefully it's an opportunity that he can capitalize on. And if he, if he can write the ship there and they can have a pretty decent year, uh, you know, even if they don't remove the interim tag, if Ty Agner comes back and he goes back to being an assistant coach, you know, maybe this experience is something that puts him on the map for future head coach openings. So even if, if Agner comes back, let's say in, in December, I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. Uh, and, and Curtis gets them through the first half of the year and weathers a storm, which is a pretty major storm that they're trying to weather right now uh, and, and has a decent first half of the year. That may open some eyes to athletic directors around the country when when jobs do open that he's a guy that can lead a program because I think he is. I mean, I think we, we've known him obviously uh, from when he was here at Merrimack and the work he put in, and um, I, I think he's ready to be a head coach. Hopefully, this opportunity, whether it remains at Bowling Green and the interim tag gets removed at some point, uh, or if he goes back to being an assistant, maybe this opportunity that he has now will set the stage for him to get hired as a head coach here soon. Great stuff, Mike. Where can people follow your work? Uh, easiest place is, is Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now. Uh, <laughs> at Mike McMahon, CHN, pretty much everything I write, a link gets posted there. Excellent, Mike. Well, we're looking forward to working with you throughout the course of the season. Thanks for being with us here today, and uh, have fun out at the rinks. Yes, yes, it's it's coming up here. Only a couple of weeks to go. We'll, we'll be seeing each other on a weekly basis, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, he's Mike McMahon. You can find him at themacreport.com, also College Hockey News. Next week, we're going to have a live show out at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings in Chicopee. Brock Hines, former UMass uh, hockey analyst, will be joining me. We'll continue our work previewing Hockey East. For my special guest, Mike McMahon, I'm John Leahy. Thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is John Leahy. Please check out my website at johnrleahy.com. You can explore the history of my time in sportscasting from my early days to the present. You can view my resume, listen and watch my audio and video demonstration reels, as well as learn about this podcast, my internet radio station, the Harbor Light Sessions Radio Network, watch my music demos, learn about my books, audiobook narration, and you can check out my event calendar. There's also an informational section with tips and tools in broadcasting, along with my personal influences and cool links. Check it out at johnrleahy.com. Mm-hmm.